open your Bibles this morning to Job 27. Okay, your Bibles are probably opening pretty easily to Job at this point. You probably found. Where are we in the book of Job? Well, here's the good news. We're over halfway. Okay, there's 42 chapters. So chapter 21 was halfway. So we're over halfway. Now, uh, I was thinking about this today. Okay, there's 21. Well, we're, we're on chapter 27. We've done 17 lessons. So we're, we're making headway. But here's what I think about the book of Job. And it's simply this. The book of Job is a lot like suffering. It always lasts longer than we think it should. Okay? The book of Job is a lot like suffering. It always lasts longer. In, fi- in fact, a lot of working through this book is about suffering. Because you're like, we've been listening to these guys arguing. All right, when is this going to be over? This is just dragging on. This is just going on and on. And many times when people are teaching through Job, they'll skip over this part. Um, and, and, and the problem is, we shouldn't do that. Because this is where we're learning. We're learning about ourselves. We're learning about how others uh, relate to us in our suffering. So what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at five chapters. 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31. And in 27 through 31, we see Job's final defense. Now, this is the last time he speaks in any lengthy way. He'll speak two more times, but they'll be short. And basically, he'll say, I have nothing more to say. So this is the last time to hear from Job as he speaks and gives his defense before his miserable comforters and before his mysterious God. You can see there kind of the overview of where we've come. This is still connected way back in Job chapter 3 where Job's cry of desperation began, and now we're looking at he's still crying, and he's still going to be cursing, and we're going to see why. But it's a cursing with a determination. Well, let me, let me say this about where we, I think I have this summarized in your notes, a little bit about where are we in the book of Job. So far, Job has resisted the temptation from his unknown adversary, the devil, to curse God. He doesn't know that Satan is his adversary. He doesn't know that Satan's doing this, but he has resisted. He has not cursed God for taking his prosperity, and he has not cursed God for bringing such adversity into his life. He's blessed God when he lost his wealth, and he chose not to curse God when he lost his health. He has feared God more than his kids, who he has lost. He's feared God more than his wife, who told him to curse God and die. And he's feared God more than his own life. So he's resisted that temptation. He's also resisted the temptation from his well-known accusers to confess sins that he never committed. He, he knows quite well these three friends, close friends, best friends, and they've tempted him to confess to sins he's never committed. He has not confessed to what he did not do simply to get his critics off his back. He has not compromised his integrity simply to make peace with his critics and his friends. And he's feared God, listen to this, he's feared God more than pleasing his friends or experiencing peace. That's no small thing. When we're suffering, it's real easy to compromise in order to have peace. Job's resisted all of this. Not only that, he has survived their no-help advice uh, from his friend Eliphaz. He's, He's survived being beaten into a blessing by Bildad the Brutal. He survived spiritual malpractice 
at the hands of his soul surgeon uh, friend uh, Zophar, the zealous. He survived all this, and he hasn't ridden the guilt train express, the guilt trip express. Uh, even though all three bought him tickets, he said, "No thanks, I'm not going on your guilt trip." In all of this, he has been able to silence his critics. Job's going to speak, and we're not hearing any more from his three friends. He silenced his critics. He's about to give his final defense. And his three friends will have nothing more to say. He's won the debate, you could say. The only problem is he's won the debate, and where is he still sitting? He's still sitting on the ash heap. So, you know, I may be right, but I'm still suffering. Uh, but here's the thing. He's won the debate, and he's still sitting on the ash heap of despair. But Job has changed. We're going to see in this last round, Job's different. And that's because suffering always changes us, Right? Suffering always changes us. It either makes us better or it makes us what? Bitter. Or, more often than not, it makes us a mixture of both. Have you experienced that? And Job is just that. He's been cha- He's not the same guy as in chapter 3. Still crying. He's going to still be cursing. He's going to still be suffering. But he's different. His despair has given way to determination, even though he's still suffering. He has less despair, he has more determination, and he has some bitterness, and he's becoming better in the process. So, what's happened? The reality is this. Job has still been denied what he has desired most. He's still been denied what he has desired most. And what does Job want more than his kids, more than his wife, more than his friend's approval? Job has not heard from his friend. The Lord Almighty. Remember, this is what bothers Job more than anything, is he feels his friend has become his enemy. And that enemy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's something to keep very much in mind as we dive into this. The deafening, listen to this, the deafening silence of God has hurt Job, uh, Job more than the loss of his wealth or even his children. The seeming absence of God was has been a more painful blow to Job's soul than the boils on his body. The apparent vengeance of God toward him is harder for him to bear than the false accusations of his friends. And so Job speaks one last time, and he makes his final defense. And and here's what he's done. He's gone from despair to determination, and here's what he's determining in these, these chapters. I will stand strong when life's gone wrong. Can you say that with me? Let's stand strong when life's gone wrong. That's what these five chapters, that's what I'm going to give you. He's going to give us one conviction for each chapter, plus a few that he hasn't learned yet. And we're going to see seven convictions that if you'll get these in your life, you can stand strong when life's gone wrong. So let's look at how to stand strong when life's gone wrong. The first principle that we see, the first conviction we need to have, is resolve to live God with... Resolve to live with integrity no matter what happens. 
resolve to live with godly integrity no matter what happens. That's what Job 27 is all about. So let's take a look at Job 27, chapter 27. This is the heart and soul of not only Job, but of this chapter are the first six verses. So as we go through these chapters, I can't read to you. You know, you got to read these chapters. And I would take this lesson this week and read through these chapters and look at each of these principles and see them for yourself. But let's look at Job 27 and look at verses 1 through 6. And as I do, I want you to listen for his determination. Verse 1, Then Job continued his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has embittered my soul. For as long as life is in me and the breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit. Far be it from me that I should declare you right till I die. I will not put away my integrity from me. I will hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach any of my days. Woo! Man, that's some, that's some serious resolve. That's some serious conviction. Do you feel his resolve to live godly no matter what till the day he dies? The great, listen, the greatest temptation when life's gone wrong is to give up and give in like Job's wife did. That's the greatest temptation. It's just to say, I quit, I curse God, and, and I'm just, I give up. I just give up and I give in. But there's another temptation when life's gone wrong, when you're falsely accused of something that you didn't do. It's to cave in and confess something that you didn't do just to make peace and get people off your back. And, and Job is refusing to do that. Look again at verses 5 and 6. He says, I'm not going to declare you guys right. I am not going to agree with you when I know you're wrong. Till I die, I won't compromise integrity just to make peace with my critics. When my critics are wrong. He's not saying that he's sinless. You've got to remember that. When he says, I am righteous and I am I'm blameless, he's, saying, he's not saying that he's never sinned. He's saying that all his sin has been confessed, all his sin has been brought before God, and he's trusting in the coming of God's Redeemer to cover his sins. And he shows that by faith in offering up burnt sacrifices as God has commanded. So I, I, I see two principles here that we want to look at in chapter 27 to kind of sum up the whole chapter. First of all, the godly have hope in the end when there's no hope in the present. Listen, when you live with integrity, you have hope in the end, even if there's no hope in the present. See, everything can go wrong in your life. And you maintain integrity, there will be hope in the end. You say, what? Does that mean my suffering will end? No, it means in the real end, when you face God, you will come out shining. So there's a lot in life that you can't control, but there's one thing you can't control. With God's grace, you can walk with integrity. And when you have integrity, no matter how bad it gets, you have hope in the end. But here's... Here's the opposite. Uh, and, and by the way, look at verses, look at verses uh, 2. Look at verse 2. He swears by the living God that he believes in, and yet he thinks 
the living God has turned against him. He says, right now, it looks like God's against me. He's embittered me. He's been against me. He's not given me what I want. He's not, he's not, he's not the God that I thought he was right now, but he's still the living God. So while I don't have a lot of hope right now because it looks like God's my enemy, I know that God lives. And when I face him, I have hope in the end. That's just good stuff. That's good stuff. And listen, if that doesn't connect with you, it's probably because you're not living with integrity. Because here's how those who lack integrity, here's the rest of the chapter. The ungodly have hope in the present that is no hope at all in the end. The ungodly have hope in the present. They think they're pulling it off. They think God is turning the other way. They think they are getting away, but it's no hope at all in the end. Job spends the rest of chapter 27 basically saying that those who don't live with integrity may hope in the present, but that hope will be no hope in the day of judgment. Job agrees with his friends. God punishes the wicked in the end, but that's not going to be Job's end. Because he's resolved, come hell or high water. And basically for Job, hell has come and high water is ease in over his head. And he says, it doesn't matter. Come hell or high water, I've resolved to live with godly integrity no matter what. And you know what? You and I need to do the same thing when life's gone wrong. Now, it's one thing to resolve. It's another thing, how do you do it? And that's the second, that's chapter 28. He makes a second conviction. He, he tells us a second conviction for when life's gone wrong so you can stand strong. Number two, renew your mind with wisdom from God above, not from below. Renew your mind with wisdom from God above, not from below. And that's all about what chapter 28. Chapter 28 is very interesting. I wish chapter 28 de deserves its own lesson. Chapter 28 is where God Almighty knows that in the book of Job, you need a break. But since we live in America of the fast food culture, we cannot have a break here. We must keep moving. We're just going to move right through chapter 28. But chapter 28 is a beautiful chapter that after... Well, let me... I'm getting away. Let me just stick with it and it will make sense, okay? One thing you can say about chapters 3 through, 20, uh, 3 through 27 so far is there's been a lot of what? There's been a lot of words. Words, 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 words. And just when you need a break, there's what? Words, 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 words. And nearly every speaker is accused the other of being full of what? Hot air. Right? And, and, and being a gas bag and blowing a lot of gas and not necessarily out the mouth. Okay? They've said it all here. They've said it all. And when life's gone wrong, it seems everyone has something to say. Have you ever found that? That when life's gone wrong, there's no lack of people full of hot air? It may be worldly hot air. It may be pious hot air. It may be angry and critical. It may be very theological and religious sounding, but it's still what? Hot air. It may, some of it may be arrogant. Some of it and a lot of it is ignorant. Some of it comes from friends and some of it comes from strangers and some of it comes from friends that, 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 that are enemies that we thought were friends. 
Some of it's based on personal experience like Eliphaz. Some of it's based on scholarship and learning like Bildad. Some of it is delivered with a whole lot of passion and zeal like Zophar. But it's still a whole lot of hot air. Some of it comes from celebrity types who have talk shows and write books. And some of it comes from TV preachers who are celebrities and have talk shows and write books. But here's the bottom line that connects all that, all those words, words, words together. It's all human wisdom from below. It's all human wisdom from below. And when Job's life went wrong, there was no lack of people who surrounded him with all sorts of so-called wisdom. But in the end, they were wrong. They were wrong about Job. They were wrong about his sin. They were wrong about his suffering. And they were wrong about his God because human wisdom is wrong when it comes to explaining God. So in chapter 28... Job pauses in this chapter and he waxes poetical about wisdom and he makes two basic truths that I want you to see. And the first is this. Wisdom can't be sought or bought in the world below. Wisdom can't be sought or bought in the world below. In this wonderful chapter, in the first 22 verses, he talks about men mining for gold. And he says, you know what? There's treasures beneath the earth. There's gold and there's silver and there's crystal and there's treasures in the ocean. There's coral and there's, there's, there's all these wonderful riches. But you know what? To get to the riches, you've got to work and you've got to dig. And so human uh, ingenuity and human skill, they build mines and they dig deep and it takes effort. And they're so brilliant in how they do it. And then they bring up these riches. But here's the problem. Man has all this skill. Man has all this wisdom. And man brings up all this worldly wealth. But you know what he says? You can't buy wisdom with that worldly wealth. You can't buy wisdom. Look at verse 15. Or rather, begin with verse 12. Here's what this chapter is trying to answer. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? And look at verse 13. Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. You can mine down to hell and you won't find wisdom. You can mine and look and go to school and you won't find wisdom. Look at verse 15. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. We can be a people that can send man to the moon. And we're not wise enough to know what God requires. Okay? Now, he says wisdom can't be sought or bought in the world below, but here's the good news. Wisdom can only come from God above. Wisdom can only come from God above. And there's a couple reasons for that. Look at verses 23 through 27. Only God knows where wisdom is. Only God knows where wisdom is. Look at verse 23. God understands its way and He knows its place. So if you're going to find wisdom, you've got to first find God. For He looks to the ends of the earth and He sees everything under the heavens. 
And when he imparted weight to the wind, think about that, and meted out the waters by measure, and when he set the limit for the rain and the course of the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it, he established it, and also searched it out. Basically, what is Job saying? He's saying this. If you want to know how wise God is, look at creation. If you want to know how wise God is, he's got the weather figured out. Now, we all have our smartphones. We all have our weather predictions. I mean, it's just, you know, and it's worse than ever today. It is worse than ever. Because now, because it's on a smartphone, you think it's going to happen. Well, look, I see it. And it's so glitterly and shines. It tells me exactly the way the weather is. And then, sadly, we begin to plan. Like, like that little phone knows what, how hard the wind's going to blow. Like it knows how much rain is going to come. It knows where the thunderbolt's going to land. And so what do we do? It's going to snow big. So we all go buy milk. And we say, we can't go to church. And then what happens Sunday? It's bright and shiny and, and they were wrong. Why? Because nobody can figure out the weather. Are, am I, are you with me? You know what? The, you know what God, God's wise enough. He knows how the wind's going to blow. He knows what it's going to weigh. He knows how far it's going to rain. He knows where the ocean's limits are. He knows exactly what the thunderbolt is going to hit. That's how wise God is. Isn't it amazing how smart we are, how much technology we are, and no one can figure out the weather? Because wisdom cannot be sought or bought from below. It can only come from God above. Listen, only God defines what wisdom is. And he takes this whole chapter and he comes to the last verse, verse 28, and he tells us what wisdom is. Here is wisdom, verse 28. And to man he said. In fact, this is the first time God has spoken to man in the whole book of Job. Now, it's not God literally speaking right now, it's Job, but this is the first time God is quoted like this. This chapter is a key chapter. After listening to men debate with man about what God is doing through suffering, here's verse 28. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. That's what wisdom is found in. Fear God for who He really is. And run from anything that would separate you from him. And, and, and the good news for Job is, he's been doing that from the beginning of the book. Listen, when life's gone wrong, renew your mind with wisdom from above, wisdom that only God can give. And do you see how the first conviction fits with the second? What's the first conviction? Resolve to live with integrity. What's the second? Renew your mind with wisdom from God. And what is wisdom from God? Fear God. So these two things go together. And, and let me show you that even more in James. In James chapter 3, 13 through 18, we get this definition of wisdom. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom 
is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where there's jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there's disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. It's integrity. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen, I guess the, 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 the point I'm trying to make is this. When life's gone wrong, don't let it turn your heart against God. When life's gone wrong, don't let it make you bitter towards God. Now, you say, well, wisdom comes from above. I'm down here. God's up there. How do we get wisdom? Let me give you, I have two. I'm actually going to give you three. Number one, God must give it to us. He's the one who has wisdom. So ask for wisdom in prayer. Ask for wisdom in prayer. When you're suffering and you don't know and life's gone wrong and you don't know what to do, cry out to God for wisdom. Why? Because in James 1.5 it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God who gives to all generously without telling you, you idiot, you should already know this. God's not that way. He says, oh, you want wisdom? I'll give you wisdom. And it will be given to him. So you got to ask for wisdom in prayer. Number two, God must reveal it to us. So dig for wisdom in the Bible. Dig for wisdom. I think this is interesting that in Job 28, he used this mining. You know, here's man mining. And I wish we had time. If I took you over to Proverbs 2, Proverbs 2 tells you that if you want wisdom, you got to dig and mine for it like buried treasure. If you knew there was a billion dollars worth of gold bricks in your backyard, what would you do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what would you do? Some of you would not go to Westlake. You would go to Glad Rents and get a bulldozer. And you wouldn't matter. it wouldn't matter what the cost. It wouldn't matter the time. It wouldn't matter the effort because you said there is gold in them there hills. Well, God has said that there is His wisdom in this book. And you have got to dig for it. You you need to buy some tools to get into the Word of God. You're going to have to spend some time in the Word of God. Listen, gold doesn't lay on the surface or everybody would be picking it up. Gold in this book is a result of digging deep because it's worth the effort. Now, let me give you the third way you get wisdom that I don't have it there in your notes. God must be wisdom to us. Look for wisdom in Jesus. Because in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the very wisdom of God. You see, in the end, Job finds wisdom ultimately in who? In God who reveals Himself. So, I think sometimes we're like Job. Job wanted answers, and he already knew the answer. The answer was, Fear God and shun evil. Job, are you fearing God? Are you shunning evil? Then you have the answer. You are wise. Yeah, but I want to know why all this, why the world's gone wrong. Why my world's gone wrong. But Job, you have the answer. The answer is wisdom is found in me. Listen, beloved. If life's gone wrong, 
and you're a believer, then you have wisdom. It's Jesus. Look to Jesus. The Jesus is the ultimate servant who suffered when he didn't deserve it. Jesus, though blameless, was also sinless. And though a servant, also a son. Listen, we have one greater than Job. We have Jesus. He's our wisdom. So renew your mind with Jesus. Renew your mind with God's wisdom. But he doesn't stop with resolving and renewing. He begins reflecting in chapter 29. And to stand strong when life's gone wrong, we have to do the same. So the third conviction is this. Reflect on the past goodness of God. Reflect on the past goodness of God. Having, Having renewed his mind with wisdom, he thinks back to the good old days. How many of you, when you suffered have thought about the good old days. Remember the good old days? Remember how good it was? Happy days? Good old days? Everybody was just clean and, and young. and the wor- Everything was right in the world. Well, that's what Job does in chapter 29. In chapter 29, Job cannot help but long for the good old days, but then in the next chapter, he begins to contrast the good old days of the past with the bad old days of the present. You ever do that? Let me show you how he does it. Look at Job 29, and we can't read the whole chapter, but the first six verses will work. Here's the good old days. He reflects on the good, the, the, the goodness of God, the good old days. Job then took up his discourse, again took up his discourse, and here's what he said. Look at verse 2. Oh, that I were as in the months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me, when His lamp shone over my head and, and by His light I walked through the darkness, as I was in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. I mean, it was it was the good days, the good times. Remember them good days, the good times? Now listen to this. Then he goes to Job chapter 30. Look at Job chapter 30, verse 1. But now, those younger than me mock me, whose fathers I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. Okay, there was nothing lower than dogs. Okay, I went from the good days to being mocked by people whose dads I wouldn't even let watch my dogs. That's just... You know, from the top to the bottom. In Job 29, if you read through Job 29, he receives honor from the most honorable. And if you read Job 30, he's receiving contempt from the most contemptible. You could write over Job 29, God's honor is on me. And you could write over Job 30, God's shame is all over me. Now, we do the same thing when when life goes wrong. We reflect on the good old days of the past. But we need to be careful that we don't make the same mistake that Job did. Because Job does this the wrong way in chapter 29. You see, reflecting on the good old days of the past and comparing them to the bad old days of the present can lead to bitterness and further depression if you don't do it the right way. Have you ever been there? on doing that. 
Look again at verses 1 through 6. I want you to look at verses 1 through 6. And as you look there, I want to ask you something. Job's saying all this is in the past, but I want you to look at verses 1 through 6 and ask you how much had really changed. Even though he was on the ash heap of despair, even though he had lost his children, the support of his wife, the sympathy of his friends, how much of verses 1 through 6 had really changed in relation to God? Look at, look at, look at those verses. Was God still watching over Job? Even though it didn't feel like it or look like it to others, was God still watching over Job? Yes, He was. Was the lamp of God's approval and goodness still shining on Job? Even though it didn't seem like it? Was God still His friend even though His earthly children had been taken from Him? Was the Almighty still with him in all of his suffering when life had gone wrong? See, if you read through 1 through 6, he's looking at the past and saying the good old days was when God was with me. Now I'm in the bad old days and God's not with me anymore. And he was wrong. And though he, so he gets bitter and he gets depressed. Here's the point we need to apply from chapter 29. Reflect on God's goodness in the past when all is right in your world because God is still good in the present when everything's gone wrong. Are you with me? See, don't look back and long for what was. Remember the one who gave it to you in the past is still the one with you when it seems he's taken it all away. God is good what? And all the time, even in adversity, God is good. Remember the, the video of, of Zach Smith? He said, I may be healed, and if so, God is God, and God is good. But if, I'm, if I don't make it to my next Christmas, God is still God, and God is still good. See, you can reflect on the past. But it's the goodness of God you want to reflect on. The good God that gave me all that in the past is still good to me today in Jesus. You want to know what happens if you reflect on just the good old days and not the goodness of God? You begin to blame God for your bitterness, and that's what Job does in chapter 30. So here's the principle. Don't do what Job did. Instead, number four, refrain from blaming God for what's gone wrong. Reflect on His goodness in the past, know that He's still good today, and refrain from blaming God for what's gone wrong. Let's read Job 30, 15 through 31. He says, but now, look at 15 through 31. Notice what he says, terrors are turned against me. They pursue my honor as the wind, and my prosperity has passed away like a cloud. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. At night it pierces my bones within me, and my gnawing pains take no rest. By great force my garment is distorted. It binds me about as the collar of my coat. He has cast me into the mire." and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you. He's referring to God. I cry out to you for help, but you don't answer me. I stand up, and you turn your attention against me. 
You have become cruel to me. He's accusing God of being cruel. And with the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride. I'm just tossed to and throw. You dissolve me in a storm, for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house of meeting for all the living. Now, Job has crossed into bitterness and is beginning to blame God for all that's gone wrong in his life. Job doesn't curse God in these verses, but he falsely accuses God. And look at those verses again. Look at 19 through 23. I want you to see this. He accuses God of casting him down in the mire and the ash heap. Did God directly do that? Who did that? The devil, the adversary. Uh, He accused God of not paying attention to him in his suffering. Not paying attention. If anybody on planet Earth had God's attention, who was it? Job. Job. Being cruel to him and persecuting. God wasn't doing that. Just playing with him like in the wind. Just tossing him about like a cat does with a piece of string. God, you're just up there with your sovereignty and you're just, you know, just playing puppet strings. You're committed to killing me. What had God said? God had said the opposite. God said, you can't kill him. He said, no, you're going to kill me. See, Job begins also to boast of his own self-righteousness at the expense of God's righteousness. Look at verses in verses 24 through 28, and I won't take time to read that, but basically what he's saying in 24 through 28 is, God, I've lived with integrity, I've done what's right, but you're doing what's wrong. Even I would show compassion to someone in need, and you are being heartless. I've got heart, you're heartless. You know what he's saying? God... I've got integrity and you're lacking it. God, I could run this thing better than you. He's becoming self-righteous. When God does not directly say, while God doesn't directly say that Job ever spoke wrong, Job does realize that in the end he has said too much and he should have been silent before God. Here's what he says in Job 40. We'll see this when we get to the end of the book, but I want to read it to you. In Job 40, the first thing... Job says to God, once God has revealed himself, is this. Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Now, the problem was Job should have done this four chapters earlier. Are you with me? And if you're like me, that's kind of my life story. Oh, I think I should have stopped talking a little earlier. And when we go through suffering, it's easy to blame God. Refrain from blaming God. Restrain your lips from blaming God when life's gone wrong. Now, how do you do that, though? How do you do that? Number five, Job didn't do this yet, but we can do it because we know the end of the story. Recognize the mystery of God's sovereignty and undeserved suffering. Recognize the mystery. The way I cannot blame God is to say, God's great, God's good, this is bad, but I don't know how it fits. And sometimes that's just what you have to do. Let me give you three principles here. By faith, recognize that it's always true. By faith, recognize what is always true about God and His goodness towards His children. And this is what's always true. In Christ, God is always for me. In Christ, God is always 
my friend, even if it feels like he is my enemy. If I am in Christ, this is always true. I don't care what's going on in the world. In Christ, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are accepted. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Number two, by faith, recognize what is never true about God and His goodness towards His children. In Christ, God is never against me. In Christ, God is never my adversary. He is never my accuser. And by faith, here's the key, number three, by faith recognize you will never fully understand the mystery between God's sovereignty and your suffering. Now, if you can grasp and recognize the mystery of God's sovereignty and undeserved adversity, then you will not blame God and have a bitter heart. Now, Job's not here yet. Job is not here yet. But standing strong when life's gone wrong is a process. I want you to understand it's a process. Job's not here yet. You may not be here yet, but you can get there. And here's what you do. Number six, remain above reproach in times of prosperity and adversity. You say, and this is Job 31. See, do you see what's going on? This is the same thing he said in Job 27. Because he doesn't have it figured out yet. And when you don't have... when you Listen... When life's gone wrong and you don't have it figured out, you always default to this, remain above reproach. Is that, is that helping? Is this helping? See, God may have not come through yet. You may not really see what God's wisdom in your suffering yet, but remain above reproach. In, in, in chapter 31, look at verse 5. Here's what he says. Just You see the chart there. There's 12 sins that he says, look, I haven't committed. And the irony is, half of these are what Eliphaz accused him of doing. So he's saying, look, say what you want. But here's what, look at verse 5, just to give you a taste of this verse. If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened after deceit, let him weigh me with accurate scales and let God know my integrity. Look at Job 33 through 34. Remember, Job lived in the time of Abraham, but he knew about Adam. Look at Job 33 through 34 in in chapter 31. Have I covered my transgressions like Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom? Because I feared the great multitude and the contempt of families terrified me and kept silent and did not go out of doors. In other words, did I cover my sin? Did I hide from God like Adam and Eve did behind a bush and behind a fig leaf? And then he goes through in chapter 31. He says, if I've done this, then God curse me. If I've done this, then God curse me. And one of the most interesting ones, he says, if my arm has not reached out to help the orphan, then may God let it fall off the socket and break at the elbow. Now, here's the wild thing that what he's doing. Basically, he's saying this. I'm on the ash heap here, and I'm suffering, but it's not because of my sin. And if it was, I pray God would do this and more to me. Now, what happens? He's calling God, and he's basically saying, God, if I'm really as bad as you think I am, and these people think I am, or I think you think I am, and these people think I am, 
then bring all these curses on me. Now, what that does is that kind of puts God on the hot seat. Because if Job is really that bad, what needs to happen to his arm? And if it doesn't fall off, what is Job saying? See, I told you I'm blameless. Now, Job is very confident right now in his integrity. But Job has become cocky. And be careful what you pray for, Christian. He wants God to show up. And God is going to show up at the end of the book in a storm. And Job's going to say, you know, on second thought, you know, I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. Uh, Yes, I'm blameless, but you are far wiser and you are far greater. And I can't begin to figure out what you're doing. But you are good, and you are God. And I'm glad I remained above reproach. I just wish I hadn't blamed you. I wish I hadn't been so cocky. Well, Job ends on a note of confidence in his integrity, but it's mixed with the cockiness that lacks humility because Job hasn't yet met God face to face. God hasn't revealed him himself to Job in his suffering. So here's the seventh principle, and it's really the rest of the book, so we don't have to develop it. Come back in the weeks to come. Here's the point. Remember to stand strong until God reveals himself. Until God reveals himself in all his greatness and goodness, when even when life's gone wrong. Hang in there. Stand strong. Keep these convictions. Now, I've got next steps for you. You read through those. You look at those. And understand that preparing for adversity, listen to me, preparing for adversity, you do it now in prosperity. Do these convictions now so that you will do them later. And repent if you haven't been living this way. Find in Jesus the wisdom and power of God. I pray that Christ, God has revealed himself to you in Christ, in Christ crucified. Man, there's so much good stuff here. Stand strong. Stand strong. It's easier to say these things than do them. We need God's grace to help us. Let's pray. Father, we come, and we've just covered five tremendous chapters We've looked at principles and convictions, and they have stood the test of time. They got Job through this horrible situation. They can get us through it. I pray for all of us here, wherever we're at, no matter how bad things are or how good, that we'll look at these convictions and we'll own them and we'll begin to build them into our lives as we trust you. And Lord, may we understand that it's in looking to Jesus as you died on the cross, as you suffered undeservedly, as you did not blame your heavenly Father. You did not become bitter, but you saw that it was the wisdom of God being played out. Lord, may we see our suffering as the gospel played out. And may we understand that you're for us and not against us, that you're with us and you're not absent. 
and that you are bringing wisdom into our lives that cannot be gained any other way. I pray for us right now, right here, that we will resolve to remain above reproach. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.